Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning again to everyone. I'm Associate Pastor Jonathan Lucia, if you don't know me. It's great to be with you this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Loving God, as we um, approach uh, your Holy Scripture this morning, um, we would pray uh, that the words that we're looking at today would um, touch our hearts and touch our minds in a way that our lives would be transformed by them. May the words of my mouth, may our thoughts and meditations be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I continue the fulfilled message series. It comes from uh, the gospel of Matthew chapter, uh, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's called Fulfilled because Jesus within these chapters said, I came not to abolish the law, but that the law would be fulfilled. Whoa, I always misquote that. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So uh, this morning, I want to begin with an illustration, an exercise of your imaginations. And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that you are traveling down a road. You're traveling maybe down a path. Um, You you can travel. It's it's an exercise of your imagination, so you can travel any way you want. My wife likes hiking, so maybe you're hiking down a path. Maybe you like to bicycle. Maybe you're riding your bike down a bike path. Maybe you've always dreamed of driving a Ferrari. So go ahead, get in that Ferrari, head down this road. It's a beautiful landscape. It's a beautiful day. And as as you're coming up over a a rise, you you see this big, ugly boulder in the road, in your path, obstructing your your forward movement here. So, and I don't want you to think of like something beautiful like Yosemite granite, like half dome. I want you to think of just something just very big and ugly that's in your path. Now, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful road. And, there's, and it continues on. The road continues on, but there's this thing that is obstructing you. Now, let me tell you why I'm having you do this exercise. In today's scripture, I believe there's an ugly obstacle that has the power to kind of shut us down. And if we let it, uh, this, ugly, uh, this ugly obstacle has the power uh, that will shut us down from understanding the best from today's scripture. Now, this is important. We can't let it shut us down because if we let it shut, shut us down, then we miss the beautiful instruction, Jesus's practical life-giving instruction that lies beyond it. I mentioned several weeks ago, and I want to mention it again, that Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is, is like a crash course. Not like, it is the crash course in Christian ethics. Christian Ethics 101. And I define Christian ethics uh, in a simple way, God's best way for us to live our best lives. It's in today's scripture that there's this ugly, but in this today's scripture, there's this obstacle that's in our way from preventing us from hearing Jesus's teaching about God's best way for us to live our best lives. And I don't want us to miss that teaching on the other side of the obstacle because um, if you've seen today's title of today's message, I, I believe, uh, maybe if you've seen it, it scratches an itch. It addresses something that we all may struggle with. How to give and receive criticism well. 
So, now let me introduce this weekend's scripture. And before I do, uh, I want to point out one last thing. Today's scripture is clearly presented in three different parts. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Part 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Part two, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in another's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How do you say to another, let me take the plank out of the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from another's eye. Part three, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word to us this morning. So what's the big ugly obstacle in the scripture that I was talking about? It's verse one. Verse one, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Verse 1, just by itself, feels like an obstacle. Why? Firstly, it's probably one of the most memorable verses outside of the Christian faith that is abused and used against Christians. Let me say that again. It's probably one of the most memorable verses outside the Christian faith that is abusively used against Christians. So I love all of you. Stonebridge Church, I love you. Members and attenders and friends of Stonebridge, your faith is important to you. And I know that your faith like a fountain overflows in your lives in ways that probably you don't even notice. But your friends and your family know that you are Christians because it just seeps out and bubbles up in the conversations that you have with people. And so your friends know this and your extended family knows this. And so imagine it's Thanksgiving morning and uh, you're you're inviting the family to your house for Thanksgiving. And here comes Aunt Susie and she's got that crazy pink hair and she's wearing a, a bright orange like sweater. And as she's walking up, you know, they, you, you can't help it. I mean, it's just a throwaway comment, but you say something like, Aunt Susie, that's quite the sweater. And she's like, oh, don't judge me. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, and she, like, she's like using the scripture. She knows you're a Christian and you're supposed to be nice. And you're telling her you don't like, and she don't judge me. And like, we're like, wee, 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 you know, like we just like, like crumple up in response to that. But guess what? There's hope. There's hope because apparently people misquote scripture. Imagine that. Apparently, people use and manipulate Scripture. Imagine that. In other words, verse 1 is too commonly misused and abused. So that's one reason uh, the Scripture feels like an obstacle to us. Don't judge. And they don't even say the whole verse. Look, they just use the first phrase. of the verse. Do not judge. Now, secondly, <clears throat> in the English-speaking world, The words judge, the words judge, the words judgment are very weighty. They're heavy. They're weighty and they're heavy because in the English-speaking world, 
When we think of the word judge, when we think of the word judgment, we think of condemnation. We think in very absolute terms. We think black and white. We think good and bad. We think in and out. We think in absolute terms. And for these reasons, like that big, ugly boulder that was in the path, this scripture can just shut us down. So it's important for me this morning to unpack the scripture a bit. And in the unpacking, I want to address two things. One is translation, and the second is context. So first, translation. So in in the New Testament of the Christian Bible is written in Greek. And uh, the word that is in the original Greek for judgment can mean, guess what? All the things we just discussed. It can mean judgment. It can mean condemnation. It can be very... um, absolute in its translation. Unlike English, though, it can also have other nuances as well. So let let me share with you some of these nuances. The word that we translate as judgment can also mean examine. Examine, like imagine looking for fingerprints on a window pane. You're examining something. Do not examine, or you too will be examined. It can mean inquire. Do not inquire or you too will be inquired upon, right? It sounds, it becomes a little clunky. And this is why the English translations go with judgment. It can mean estimate. Like I'm estimating how far this stage is from the back wall. I don't know, 50 feet. I could be right. I could be wrong. Do not estimate or estimate or you too will be estimated. Like that doesn't work either. It's clunky. I like this one, sift. Sift. Have you ever dropped your, uh, your, your keys in the sand at the beach? And like, there's just this moment of terror as they're in midair where you just think they're going to drop into the sand and just get sucked into the sand. And, and like immediately, I'm already doing it with my hands. Like, right? You immediately just reach down and start sifting the sand out to find your keys. Do not sift or you too will be sifted. Right? It, it's clunky but it begins to give us other nuances of what this word can be translated and understood as. And once we recognize its nuance, the translation and its impact feels a lot softer. That big boulder is now more like a speed bump. And heads up, as I continue in today's message, I'm intentionally going with a softer nuance and translation so that we can get beyond the obstacle, and dig a little deeper into God's um, principles and teaching for our lives today. Now, secondly, <clears throat> I mentioned uh, translation. I want, to trans- uh, I want to mention context as well. It's inappropriate to consider verse 1 without including verse 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, seen in context, this scripture is less about don't judge me, and it's more like a proverb. I, I love uh, teaching people who are not familiar with uh, the Christian Bible. If you take the Bible, you could grab one in front, out from the, the pews in front of you. If you take the Bible and you open it right in the middle, you're going to end up in one of two books. You're going to end up in Psalms. Or you're going to end up in Proverbs. Proverbs are these pearls of wisdom, and there's often a structure to the Proverbs. There's usually an A, 
and then a B statement, A and B. And I intentionally wanted to show you this scripture in this way, because in many of your Bibles, if you were to read this, it would be written as a paragraph. But if you look at it in this structure, you can see a proverb kind of structure, an A and a B. Do not judge or you two will be judged. In the same way you judge, you will be judged. A, B, A, B. With the way, uh, the way you measure, it will be measured to you. A, B. It's a proverb. It's a pearl of wisdom. In other words, in context, it, it's a cautionary tale. And so that obstacle, that ugly boulder that was in the way has been reduced now more to a speed bump. Slow down. And maybe now there's a caution sign next to the speed bump. Slow down, caution. I think this is more helpful for us. And in order to fully appreciate the biblical principle at work in today's scripture, with your permission, I'm going to, as I said, soften our stern understanding of judgment. And for the rest of this message, I'm going to use the words criticism or constructive criticism. Hence, today's message title, How to Give and Receive Criticism Well. And this morning, uh, there's a, uh, in, in, an insert in your bulletin, and I encourage you to take it out and look at it. On one hand, I've got the scripture kind of laid out as we've seen it on the screens. And on the other hand, I've got some fill-ins, and I'm literally going to work through the worksheet this morning. So I encourage you to look at that. So firstly, um, column one to the left, number one, giving constructive criticism requires self-awareness that yields to grace. Giving constructive criticism gives self-awareness that yields to grace. Do not judge or you too will be judged. The way you judge others, you will be judged. The measure you use will be measured to you. Cautionary tale. Self-awareness. You feel called to speak into someone else's life. And before you do, let's exercise self-awareness. And I want to talk about three things under the umbrella of self-awareness. How, who, and what? How? How would you want to be approached if someone has something to say to you that's critical? You want them to come in hot? Do you want them to come in fast? Do you want them to get up in your face and like yell at you? Is that helpful? No, because the first thing we would do is, you know, just shut down and go, nope. Right? So how? Under the umbrella of self-awareness. Who? Well, <laughs> and, and I, sh I should say, in this message, I'm going to give uh, use a, a lot of superficial illustrations, but I hope you understand that the, super illustration, the superficial illustrations that I'm using are, are really just symbolic of deeper conversations that we might have in our workplace or in our families. <clears throat> so who, how, now we're talking about who. When a stranger comes in hot and yells at you, are we receptive to that? No, who are you, <laughs> right? But what about those safe relationships? People you know and love, maybe a best friend or a coworker, so it's important for us, if we're going to give constructive criticism, to evaluate what's the nature of our relationship to the person that we have to speak to. And another thing I want to highlight that came to mind this week as well in this, uh, on this topic of who 
is recognizing that for some of us, we may in our jobs be um, assistant managers or managers. Uh, we may be bosses or we may own a business. And we need to recognize that it's appropriate sometimes in this world when we have been placed in authority over others to need to speak into the lives of others. That's appropriate. But it also goes the other way around under this, again, umbrella of self-awareness to recognize that we are also oftentimes placed under the authority of others. Maybe we have a manager that's over us or a boss or a teacher or a parent. Recognizing safe relationships and appropriateness in terms of relationships. How, who, and what. Is it just my opinion? Am I just coming in and, and here's the you know, superficial illustration. You're a lousy driver. That's really just an opinion. But some things are based in biblical truth and other things are just objective truth. Hey, when you drive, I've noticed that when you see a yellow light, you put your foot on the gas and speed up. I suggest maybe for your own safety and for the safety of others that you actually put your foot on the brake and come to a stop because eventually you might hurt others or hurt yourself, right? That's, there's some objective truth in that. So how and who and what? Is it an opinion or is there objective truth or biblical truth in what we have to say into the lives of someone else? Now, when we exercise self-awareness, I think it then leads us to then expressing this in a gracious way. Giving constructive criticism requires self-awareness that yields to grace. Presenting it in this way uh, is better received. So inversely, the other side of the coin now, uh, if you're following along in the outline, it would be the second column, number one. Receiving constructive criticism requires listening for grace. So this second column, I, I, I'm, I'm really going to be sharing with you um, ways in which you can um, discern healthy boundaries with people. If someone comes into you, now we're the receiver, right? Someone comes in bursting into your cubicle and just starts yelling at you and gets in your face and, and, uh, and then uh, let's say, you know, right? It's just an opinion. You're lousy. Like if it's just opinion, what you say is thank you. You think it through. You put it in a box. You put it over here and it's okay to walk away from it. I'm giving you permission to do that. So receiving constructive criticism requires listening for grace. However, if someone you love, someone who genuinely cares for your well-being or cares for the well-being of the institution that you work for, whatever it is, approaches you and thoughtfully shares their concern, wow, that speaks grace. They're risking, you know, stepping out of their comfort zone and approaching you in a healthy, appropriate way. That speaks of grace. And we should be more willing to then listen to what they have to say. All right. Switching to number two, giving constructive criticism. So we're going back to the other side. Giving constructive, cons <laughs> constructive criticism requires credibility. I, I love this. Uh, verses three through five. We, we need to understand, I, at least 
we, we need to recognize that Jesus was a master of rhetoric and he wasn't afraid to use humor. And when we read these verses, it's funny. It's like slapstick. I've brought my prop with me today, right? Jesus goes, you know, how can you remove a speck from someone else's eye when you've got a huge plank in your own eye? I mean, this is just funny stuff and it's memorable. But I want you to look at verse five. It says, you hypocrite. And let's just pause right now. The moment we see that word hypocrite, I think for most of us, we then um, look at part two of the scripture and then we just move on. Oh, this is about hypocrisy. Move on. You hypocrite. Take, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then guess what? It actually gives us permission to then appropriately speak into someone else's life. Take the plank out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from another's eye. So let me tell you a story that is true, but not literal. Let me just tell the story. <laughs> it's easier. There was a boy who grew up in a very dysfunctional family. And uh, there, there was verbal abuse and there was emotional abuse. And um, somewhere as a, a young um, adolescent, he, he found his way into his parents' liquor cabinet. And, you know, he started stealing liquor out of it. And he found that when he did this, for the moment, it gave him relief from the trauma that he was experiencing in that family. And as time went on, he grew from an adolescent into a young adult. And that, you know, it started out innocently. It was just a speck in his eye. And for a moment, it gave him relief. But as a young adult, it began to grow. It began to grow and it began to grow. And it became a plank in his eye. And the thing is, is as he went through life, he started hitting other people. Like he didn't intentionally do it, but he began to bump into things and bump into people, right? You see how this is slapstick? Like this is what, is this funny or is it serious? <laughs> thing is, with a plank in his own eye, people started to distance themselves from him to protect themselves. As he grew older, he began to realize that this plank in his eye was slowing him down and weighing him down. And he wanted to get rid of it. Now, what I love is the many recovery programs that we have in our churches and around our nation. 12-step being one of them. And one of the important things about the 12 steps that I love is that if you are serious about recovery, they, uh, in time, you can be matched up with a sponsor, a mentor. This is someone who has gone through the steps themselves and have, has experienced healing and recovery themselves. And what that means is the plank that they had in their eye, they have successfully removed. And because of that credibility, they now can come alongside others and say, hey man, I've been down this road. I've walked a mile in your shoes and I know what it's like. I can help you. Giving constructive criticism requires credibility. So let's flip to the other column. Receiving constructive criticism requires valuing credibility. Again, healthy boundaries. If someone comes in hot, <laughs> um, 
and you don't have a relational, uh, what I call relational equity, if it's not a safe relationship, um, certainly if they come in with an opinion and no credibility, you know what? Put it in a box, put it over here, and let it go. However, if someone comes doing all of these things and they've actually walked this path before that you are on, we need to take that into consideration and value that. All right, moving on to number three. Giving constructive criticism requires knowing your audience. Giving constructive criticism requires knowing your audience. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. Now in context, part one, part two, and part three make sense. I think this third part has often confused people when they've read it. They're like, what does this have to do with anything? In context, I think it makes great sense. Giving constructive criticism requires knowing your audience. I think of um, uh, in the late 80s, I think, or in the early mid-90s, there was a guy, uh, he was a mafia don, and his name was John, uh, John Gotti. John Gotti. Some of you are nodding your heads. John Gotti, I think he was on the, t uh, the cover of Time in a bunch of magazines, and they labeled him the Teflon Don because all, everything that they tried to, to stick would just bounce off him, the Teflon Don. And uh, think about that, knowing your audience. Is there someone in your life where you just know, if you say anything critical, they're just like, no, it's not, that's not true, blah, blah, blah. They just, it just bounces. They're the Teflon Don. They're the John Gotti of constructive criticism. They're just not gonna hear it. Their walls are thick. And I mean, there's a certain point where it's like, you know, it's not worth having the conversation because they're not gonna receive it well. And what's interesting, I think of, <laughs> this is a, <laughs> that was a fun, funny association in my mind. I think of my kids. <laughs> Because there are moments, right, that um, as a parent, right, I'm in a position of authority in their lives to speak into their lives. And there are times when I can have a conversation, say, with my daughter, and we'll be driving in the car, and she's just not going to have it, right? The, the body language says it all. She doesn't say anything. She just kind of turns like this in the passenger seat and looks out the window with this blank stare. Now, what, what drives me crazy, right, Teflon Don, that's my, my little daughter. But, right, like two days later, my wife can have a conversation with Sydney, uh, and, and it's the same topic. And, and Sydney will be like, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm totally receptive. Now, it can also go the other way around. I, I'm not, there's, there, are, there are times when I, you know, Stacy will have the conversation, and, and it, goes, it doesn't go over well. And yet, you know, a, a, in another space at another time, I have the conversation and it goes well. Isn't that interesting how, right? Um, timing and seasons in our lives. There are times when we are open to it and there's other times when we're not. Knowing your audience. And, and sometimes it's just a personality type. That person just does not receive it well. And other times it's timing. And sometimes uh, in terms of giving constructive criticism, sometimes we're not the one called to speak that truth into their lives. Maybe it's someone else in their God's perfect timing that's going to speak that truth into their lives. So giving constructive criticism requires knowing your audience. Receiving, again, inversely, the other side of the coin, receiving constructive criticism, criticism requires choosing teachability. 
we have a choice we can make. We can choose to be John Gotti. <laughs> I hope you don't, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> or we can choose, and, and you know what the Bible calls that? The, the Bible calls that being hard-hearted. Your heart is just so hard that when things come at you, you just repel them. Or we can choose to be lifelong learners. We can choose to be moldable. We get to choose. So I want to conclude with this question. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be is directly related to how you're going to live your life. Back to this idea of Christian ethics, God's best way for us to live our best lives. Who do you want to be? Do you want to live the best life? If so, I have found that living the best life requires humbly submitting to God's best way for us to live. Thankfully, the Son of God, Jesus, Jesus laid out a roadmap. Jesus laid out instructions on how to live the best way in order that we can live our best lives. Now, in regard specifically to giving and receiving constructive criticism, I want to encourage you to uh, look in your bulletin and take uh, special attention to the next steps that are provided in there. I also want you to contemplate, take the time to contemplate the worksheet that we've worked through this morning. And what are the touch points for you? Where are the areas that you can grow, both in giving and receiving criticism well? Echoing a refrain from last week's message, I invite you to live like this. Let's pray. L loving God, uh, thank you. Thank you for this series. Thank you for uh, this season that we've taken in the life of Stonebridge to focus on the Sermon on the Mount and look at these very practical teachings of Jesus. Um, we pray, indeed, that these um, practical teachings would indeed um, shape and form who we are, that your character would be reflected in us and through us. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God has given much to us. Let us continue in worship, giving back.
once torn and beaten, left without reason to move on. Then you reached down and brought me up from the valley of dry bones. You are the God that saves. You are the one that rescues me. Great. 